sta dentro subito lì davanti no davanti è dritto dritto verso come se andassi nel nostro cubicolo sul muro this is Giulia she is a nanny she is also Italian which you may have noticed but don't worry we won't be doing this podcast in Italian because I don't speak Italian welcome to the art and podcast a podcast that asks what do you do and is it art Giulia is a friend of mine and uh, we met up when I was on holiday in Berlin recently and we took a walk together to a playground near where she lives which is unofficially called the Dragon Playground uh, but she'll tell you herself Do you have a name? Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm really bad at this No, I'm um, just taking the piss um, I'm Giulia yeah. and I am, what am I? I am... I am a girl and I am a nanny and I'm recently um, a nanny agency owner, I think. Officially, that's what it says in the books. You're, you run a nanny agency? Exactly. Called? Extra Arms. Ah, brilliant. And, uh, and it's also in the borough of Friedrichshain, just around the corner from here. That's convenient. Yes, right, right. very. Oh, like... and this is the dragon field. And we're only at the dragon playground. Okay. Yeah, I've just seen the dragon. Isn't that is amazing? amazing. Oh, wow. Do you want to climb up it? Yes. Let's do it. Do you, do you bring some of your um, children here? Oh, I bring all of the children I know here. Right, right. I spend entire afternoons here. Is it because it's really close to your house? Is that why? Yes, and also because <laughs> it's one of the kids' favorite playgrounds. Yeah. That's when, the, when a Hello. kid finds out about this playground, that's where they want to be. <gasps> and... Um, we're entering the and so yeah, the and it's also a great excuse because then I get to climb 17 times autistically, oh. and I have an excuse. Oh wow! And you can do your workout. Look at that. Oh, I'm in the mouth of the dragon. This is—it's so cavernous and lovely. Isn't it, Jess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! We're totally and this. Oh, so nice in the teeth. Oh wow! That is good. I think I can fit you there. Yeah, are you bendy? Yeah, I'm bendy now. There you go. Then yeah, probably. Oh wow. And is this like a favourite one of the kids you come with? Yeah, they we make a special date every year. <laughs> exactly. We make a special date every year as soon as the summer comes. Yeah. To come spend an afternoon here. So they get to hang out in my house and my office and then we come here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's there. It's our special so summer right. deal. Exactly. Then, yeah. yeah. And we go eat at the Indian restaurant around the corner. Right, right. And they get to see where I live and they can imagine it when I leave their house at night they yeah. can say I know where Julia's going yeah she lives there and yeah. uh, I and they want to know that so yeah, they know, they're exactly. curious for that right and they know my cat and they ask me about my cat uh, and they've learned to pet cats through my cat is very conscious that you do that yes because I think the kids I look after tend to live a very different lifestyle from my own right and part Just of my um, agenda I guess is to show them that there's a diff there are all kinds of ways of living. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, including kinds where your house is just four rooms and you there's no stairs in your house. Most Which, of the kids will say, oh, you've no stairs. Yeah. Because they've never seen a house without stairs. It's mind blowing. And so they see that and they see my cat and they see that the spaces are different and they comment on them. And what I want to say to them is you can be perfectly happy in all kinds of houses and you shouldn't have an expectation when walking into someone's house yeah. that it's going to be like your own. I feel like in talking to you about this previously as well that that's your mission, right? That's your like, that's kind of like 
what because I never understood nannying until I met you. I was like, oh, it's like a, I kind of would put it aside as like, oh, that's a, a privilege of the wealthy. To have a nanny, well, it is in financial terms. I've never worked for people who made the kind of living that I make. So yeah. I, a nanny couldn't afford herself, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it is a privilege. It is, it is wealthier people have nannies, but that's what that, it's a place where social classes meet, and it has been historically a place where social yeah. classes meet because I'm in your life 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. We share a lot of life, and so, but we come from two completely different places, and we wouldn't otherwise have hung out with each other, we yeah. probably wouldn't have become friends. Yeah. Um, we probably wouldn't have chosen each other as friends because we wouldn't have recognised each other. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't be in the same circles. Exactly. And that's a great message to give kids from their early age. Absolutely, that there are all kinds of people and that also that for me it's really important to, 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 to reach the concept to them that money and happiness aren't necessarily linked. Amen. <laughs> and so that they are not going to be a surprised when they see that in, in the world outside their bubble. Uh-huh. And also that if they find that their vocation, their inclination brings them to a profession that doesn't earn a lot of money, um, they will know that that's not going to necessarily impact on their well-being and happiness. But they can make that choice if that's what they want, because yeah, they've yeah. met other people who made choices that didn't bring a lot of money but were happy. Yeah. And do you like... Because you have these kids from a very young, early age, and then they just assume that you're part of their life, right? They do. I usually, the last two families, um, everyone was um, younger than two, and so they had no memory of yeah. life without me. Yeah. Um, showing up at their house every day. A lot of the children are babies, and so they're a couple of weeks old when I start with them, and I stay with them for a few years. And so eventually they start working the world out and they realize that their parents do a job. And this is a conversation that we have a lot because why do I come? Because mommy has to go to work or daddy has to go to work. And so the fact that there is a work to go to is a big part of their life, of, of their everyday life. They have that concept. Maybe they visited their parents at the office. Maybe they know what their parents do. And so eventually the question comes, so what do you do for a living? Because as far as they're concerned, I'm always hanging out with them. Um, and they don't understand when would I be doing my job, like mommy and daddy do their jobs. When do you go to work, kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I get that question, how do you make your money? And then I explain it to them that my job is to look after them. Yeah, and uh, what's their reaction to that? Um, mixed. They, the first question that comes is, okay, then what happens when you change jobs? Because they're also familiar with that concept. So they're like going straight for that. Yeah. You're going to leave. Exactly. So right. they have, but then I... I explained to them that we've had this conversation before and we've, I always differentiate as soon as I can speak between me and the members of their family and we do have the conversation where they recognize and I, we say back and forth to each other that we're not part of the same family. And so then when they make that realization, I can say to them, yes, this is what I've meant uh, all this time when I said that we don't belong to the same family. Yeah. Um, and, and my way of reassuring them is that yes, maybe one day they'll grow out of my care and so they won't, I won't be coming to their house every day, but that we can choose each other as friends. And when you choose a friend, it can become like a family member, you can choose to keep them for all your life. So they, if they feel that they still need me once I am no longer their nanny, they won't have to give me up. They can choose to be my friend and yeah. then we can carry on yeah. seeing each other and, and hanging out. Which is a really careful, considered 
thing. It's like from the very start, you're like, I have to prepare these kids for the fact that I'm going to go. Yeah, because I think what you do essentially as, as, as a nanny is you make a conscious choice to put yourself in the life of a person who can't choose you back because they're too young. So you insert yourself into their environment and you teach them to grow accustomed to you and you and you support their learning to love you and you want them to do that because you want them to trust you and to listen to you and, and to want to spend time with you and be happy in your company. And so you make that conscious decision when they can't and I think you have a responsibility to realize that that you have no rights to them because you are their nanny, you're an employee and if the yeah. family should choose that you were never to see them again, that would be their prerogative and you can't do anything about that. That's tough. And it's super tough to know that that can happen, but they have a right to you forever because you made a choice for them when they couldn't. And so right. the consequence for me, the consequence of that choice is that you need to remain available for that child. If they call you in 20 years wanting to know about their childhood, I think it's part of your responsibility to make yourself reachable and yeah. to, to make sure that you are there to answer those questions because you, you chose to parent them for a period of time. Um, you can't, I don't want to introduce children to the concept that people say that, who say they love you one day can disappear because I want them to have very good expectations and very high expectations of the people that will say they love them in their life as grown-ups. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I want them to demand consist consistency and truth yeah. from the people who say love them and if i teach them at age four that a person who truly loves you could just disappear into thin air they will take in that that's an acceptable thing to happen and they won't think to ask for any better when they grow up and i want to know that they can ask for better that they should ask for better that's in that's incredible that's a really lovely sentiment yeah i think yeah because i i i think as you grow up, your expectation of relationships and friendships is formed by watching the example of those around you. Absolutely. And so often people who've had examples that weren't the best don't go and look. They go. You, you tend to reproduce a lot of the relationships you lived as a child. That's the story that we hear, yeah. Exactly. And so if your relationships were of a less than high quality, then you will expect that to, con that's your expectation set, yeah, that's yeah. what you expect from people. I, I feel like most people would think, oh, we should do that, when they go older, we should tell them about relationships, but you're like, no, day one. No, because you don't, kids don't learn stuff that you tell them. Kids learn stuff <laughs> that they see. <laughs> it's a brilliant sentence. You don't, people have this, um, I, I mean, after a certain that. age, maybe, yeah, they also learn, you know, knowledge through being told, but yeah. for the first, my feeling is seven, eight years of their life they learn by watching they're very good at watching and so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you say to them what they will learn is what they have seen so speaking of learning how did you learn how to do what you do I don't know I fell into it I think most people fall into their chosen profession at some point or another um, I was an au pair for um, a lot for a while when I was younger and I liked it I found it really interesting to watch it's a 
it's the greatest experiment because for a period of time you have almost total control of the input and you see exactly what comes out the other end um, and so it's an incredibly interesting reaction to watch to see a child make sense of the world because you can relate the input and output very closely for the first year of life say before they start properly hanging out with other human beings and so it's an interesting thing and I discovered through being an au pair that it was a really interesting thing to watch yeah but and it I, is in general and I also discovered that it's very interesting to watch family dynamics because a lot of the things that you see when you're an Annie are the things that are not said. Um, and so you learn a lot about how families work and what families do to each other. And, and sometimes if you can find a way of, of changing the dynamics that are not great, that's great. But at least you get to, worst case scenario, you get to see them and learn from them. Um, and so I fell into it that way. I, I realized it was really interesting. And then I learned by doing, I think. Yeah, I feel like a very creative training pass you're putting yourself through because you're really carefully observing and watching everything and then acting. But you have to do that very sensitively, right? You have to, sorry? Do that very sensitively. You have to try and you can only do your best with what tools you have at what time you have them, which is why regrets are part of the job and I think they're part of parenting because you're not always going to be your best self and you're not always going to be in possession of your best analytical powers at any given time in your life. I mean, you're allowed to make mistakes. Yeah, you're allowed <laughs> to make mistakes, of course, but then they have very con very real human consequences which yeah. are hard to take in sometimes. It means the um, learning's quite fast then. But yeah, you watch and it is, it is in a way, um, I think of my past life as a sort of, as a, as a painting of sorts. And so you try to live your life in order to create the most interesting, prettiest possible painting by the end of your life is how I see my progress. Mm. And, and you're so I, constantly I, layering. And you're layering and you're putting new colors in and new perspectives in and, and you just, your painting becomes richer and richer. I don't know if better and better, but richer and richer. And so I like looking back at it and saying, oh, I like this color that I chose then or, oh, I shouldn't have done that at the time. And I think, I know that I'm part of the memory-making process of the children that I look after and so some of my strokes are going to be on their painting and yeah. some of the quality of their strokes are going to be um, a product of, of what I can put in, what colors I give them um, to start with or, 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 yeah, or how I limit their choices as well. And so I try to watch and see for as, as much as I can what I'm doing, what kind of picture I'm, I'm producing for them and with them and, and I try for it to be the best that I can make it at the time when I have it and so you watch and you see there are issues or problems or, or quirks or, or, or you know wonderful kinds of, of um, development and you read up on them, you go home and you read up on them and you find a book and you find a recommendation and, and you learn that there are millions of ways of looking at every single aspect of the really complex thing that it is to grow up and so you learn that there's a world out there and, and you try to keep yourself as updated as you can so that you have as many colors and as many paintbrushes as, as you can have given your capabilities so you can yeah you can work that into their lives i mean for our purposes in this conversation and this art discussion you're talking about um using it as a metaphor but it's quite apt you're talking about your job nannying as being an art form I, yeah, I believe it is. I think it's an art form in that sense, in the sense that you are creating visual, sensorial and emotional memories and, and, and that's what art does a lot of the time. It, it elicits feeling and sensation, sometimes it records it. 
um, and, and expresses it for others to look at later. And so, yeah, in that sense, I, I believe it's a sort of artistic process. I also think it's artistic in the way that history is artistic, as in, I do a lot of, I'm, I'm, I am the memory for a lot of the families because it's a blur when you have kids and especially when you have lots of kids and they're very young and you forget a lot of little things and I write them down, I remember them, I'm not sleep deprived. And so right. I then can say a year later, I can say back, oh, do you remember when your child did this at age six months? And they're like, oh, no. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. And the reason is that they're sleep deprived, but you are not. And so you remember stuff. And I think you choose what you remember and you make you make a synthesis of what you've seen and, and it's an artistic process in that you make a choice you, you you select what you remember you select how you narrate it back to a family you select the way in which you say it to them um and you do in a sense create narrative and you create records and it, it's yeah it's, i think it's a form of art in itself yeah art and Art and art and art and art. And I've, I've for, for a family I used to work for, I, I wrote down a little book with all the recipes that we, all the food I cook a lot for the children. Um, and so we had developed our own favorite foods that I would cook for them. And eventually they started cooking with me and putting their own input and making their own demands as to how their foods should taste like. And so we developed our little, I don't know, cultural niche of a, of a, of a, of a a mix of your Italian uh, background and exactly. their German, and their uh, British, British in this case, yeah, and sorry. so yeah, I learned to make fish pie, um, and they learned to make pizza dough, you know, things like that. Ah. And um, and then when I left them, I started compiling this book with all of their pictures that I had and all of the recipes that we had come to love together and create together. Um, it took me three years to do that because the emotional stress of having left them was too great and I didn't realize that at the time I kept wanting to finish it but I couldn't and it took me three years to send it to them but I guess three years later it was for them you know it was us, the story of us in a sense through yeah. one of the things that we did together and and how they developed and how our practices developed and it is it was a it was a work of art in the sense that it took a piece of reality and it my mind morphed it and modified it into a, a, an object that expressed what that moment in time for me meant and what my relationship with them meant to me and so yeah it was a it was a it was a sum up of a piece of reality which i guess is what you do but that for me is a priceless piece of art yeah. if i had a child i don't have kids but if i had kids and then i had that someone had done that for me I would just be incredibly touched they were and they were and they were sure to let me know and I know that they were honest in there no, and course, they yeah. made things for me when I left they painted me a plate and on the back of it were all the recipes all the names of the recipes I cooked for them through the years so we obviously both on our each side knew that that was the thing that had connected us the most right and so you both kind of both sides of the equation started creating some art together exactly yeah. and it was a, it was the same sort of message we had we had zoned into the same piece of of our reality together to sum all of it up yeah. and of course you know children uh, you know, the relationship with food is, is very important and and it's part of your nurturing um, and it's part of, of their milestones as you wing them as they learn to be brave about eating certain foods and trying new things it's a whole learning curve for everyone and it was intense, and so that's why for both of our pieces of art reflected that in the end. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to give to each other, what we wanted to remind each other of. So lovely. 
So you mentioned uh, the emotional um, impact of doing this job and leaving families. Is there any support for you there, doing that afterwards? Is, no, there isn't really. I mean, there are online groups and there's a lot of literature and, and you can, I'm not very good at um, seeking people out and support out online. Um, there isn't a lot in the physical world in the sense that it's a lonely enough job. There are no colleagues, there is no structure around you. Um, and so there's no one there's no one you can ask if you're in doubt. So there's no one you can check your logic with. Um, and a lot of the time you have to be the one who's sure um, because the families are relying on you to support them and so you can only, I don't know, I always feel like I'm allowed to introduce only a certain amount of doubt because I, I, I want to introduce doubt when it's useful but I don't want to be another person asking questions. I need to be one of the people who comes up with some answers. Um, and so all of this to say... Um, I got lost in what you were saying too. I was like, wow. Um, whether the, you kind of answered the question uh, yeah, so there's whether no, there's support networks there is, whether there's a community around what you do that's active and you kind of swap stuff and talk about stuff there isn't much of it or I didn't find much of it in London you do meet colleagues at the playground you do start hanging out with them you do organise play dates with colleagues that have ah, children of similar so ages so you meet people there in playgrounds and, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. and you start building your own network of colleagues that happened a lot in London because there's a lot of nannies in London um, doesn't happen so much here in Germany because there is far less uh, professional nannies that say people who do it for a lot of their time and so no I, I there is no support network there's no one you can call them so that's what I'm trying to do with the agency I'm trying to get all of the people who are placed through me or that come in to meet each other maybe have a drink and we have different we have a whatsapp group for my sitters and hopefully I'm gonna start start up a, a Facebook group for people to keep in touch and some and immediately when you set something like that up the moment you set it up what happens is people write in for advice and people say oh I'm facing this problem now have you seen this before what are you gonna what, what can I do about it and it's an amazingly rich um, rich exchange because you have, all of us are single people they had there is no structure around us that tells us how to do our job and so everyone finds a completely unique way of rationalizing what happens to them what they see and what they have to deal with everyone has to find their own way completely and you know you read stuff that makes sense to you and so you follow your own paths in literature as well you're often not exposed to the counter arguments maybe because you you're on your own nobody tells you how to get a perspective you get yeah. it through the years but which is you, true of art you go through currents and you don't realize you're in the current until someone shows you the current beside wow. you you know because there's no one to talk to the um, um, parallels have given me tingles in my arms just thinking <laughs> of that. It's exactly the way you become, you, you find your way in through art as well, and, and being an artist or being involved in creative industries. I never thought about that, but yeah, you, you, you get... You have trainings of sorts in university, but they're all just set up to facilitate you to be experimental and to uh, find your way through and to, uh, and to just follow your path, but then you can totally be usurped wonderfully, excitedly by some new thing. Like you might be performing Shakespeare all your life, and then you like suddenly see a mime show. You like, and you think, wow, yeah, mime. Yeah, 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 yeah. We go out through the, um, what's this, the esophagus of the dragon? Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. I'm yes, I never technical. thought of it that way. Um, Adam's apple, maybe? Adam's apple. The dragon's Adam's apple. I'm going to go up over the top of the building. You're going to go over the upper yes. bit? I'm going to see if I can get through. <laughs> oh, it's tight. You might have to help me. 
Um, which slide do you want to go on, uh, down? <laughs> this is a fundamental choice when you're out there. <laughs> now, um, you've experienced these slides. I so have, yeah. What am I looking at here? So what you're looking at is that one's steeper and faster. That's the tube one. Yeah, so it's more fun, but there's a high chance you will hit your head on the top part of the roof. Being six foot. That's so you happens. have to really go down it completely, and in your you have to be completely lying down. And in your case, you're probably be halfway down the slide by the time you're lying down. So you have to take that into your hand. Right. This one is less risky. Just mind classic your head. Slide. Yeah, this is yeah, just a yeah. classic. Um, I mean. I want to take more risks in life. Go for it. Yeah, this yeah. one. Okay, yeah. we're going down the. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Ronan. I'm a 31-year-old man, and this Ooh. is the noise I make when I go down a slide. Ooh. Let's do it. Ooh. I want to take more risks in life. Go for it. Ooh. I want to take more risks in life. So, is it part of your pedagogy as a nanny to, to teach a sense of risk? Not of risk, but I... I it sounds it, bad, but you know what I mean? It's a thin line, um, have recognising what their limits are, and it's, a, it's very hard to understand what they understand about the, phys the laws of physics. <laughs> um, you still haven't cracked that one, No, yeah, so I've had a kid jump off a really high, like three metre high climbing structure at age, what, four and a half, five? Five, maybe? So you would expect them to have more sense than that. He jumped off and he, I didn't see this, he flat faced onto the sand oh. and another mother, we were out with the mum as well and another mother brought him over and said, your kid just jumped off and flat, fa flat faced in the sand, uh, maybe you should talk to him. And so we talked to him and... But um, mean he wasn't wailing? He, was he wasn't, he was fine, he was just really surprised. What he was was Dave. surprised, he wasn't hurt, he was fine, okay. it was sand, it was no problem. Um, and his reason for doing that is that Lightning McQueen does that. And so then we realise it's a cartoon character, it's a car cartoon character that does stunts. Right. And um, that's where we realised that we, have failed, we had failed to mention that certain things happen in cartoons that can't happen in real life because oh. of the laws of physics. Um, but of course, you don't think of saying that to a kid as an adult. Because you assume it to be the case. Because you assume that they know. Yeah, yeah. But or that how they could would have they worked know? that out. But yeah, that's fair enough. It's like I see that on television. That's a thing. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try. Yeah. And if you think about it, like the world is completely amazing to kids for a really long time. Like think of glass. I I, I watch babies become aware of the existence of glass. And what it is is magic hard air, you know, that you wouldn't expect <laughs> to be there because you can't see just as the rest of the exactly air. And do you know what I mean? And so it's, for them, it, it's completely possible that you maybe have a slightly harder time going through it, but you can still go through it because you can almost see it, but not quite. And so, and I watch kids make sense of all these things we take for granted, which is the texture of the world and the consistency of it and, and what happens when you do this and that. Yeah. And so you can't assume that they know that if, Lightning McQueen flies, you can't fly, like, you can't assume that. So your job is to kind of look at the world as an alien who doesn't understand everything, anything, sorry, and you have to kind of go assume that this child is basically exactly. from a different planet. Yes. And yeah, which is a good place to be in, in the creative industries as well. 
the I kind hear of, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to be in a, to be in a position of like, well, it, it, it's a great place to make commentary on human behavior. Sure. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and how it develops, and, and why, and what kind of this is it. What kind of experiments you need to carry out in order to figure out how the world works. And yeah. I think the line you try to walk is you don't want to curtail their chances of making those exper experiments, but you don't want the experiments to get too extreme too quickly because then they'll get hurt. How do you feel about the name nanny? Because right now I'm more like to call you like a. A child scientist or something. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> those words are, don't work, but uh, it's much more um, experimental and, and, and working stuff out. And yeah, there's a scientific approach, a very practical, logical thing. I, I think maybe this is my way. It's not everyone's way. Yeah, okay. my, my parents are scientists, and I think my, their way of um, rationalizing reality and their way of explaining it to me brought me to have this type of mental process where everything you look at is, is looked at in terms of input and output and the variables and, and how can you modify the variables to modify the output. Wow. Um, and so I guess my brain learned to look at the world in that way to an extent and so this was my personal um, the, the best way my brain has to work the problem at hand out. I'm sure there's very very many others that are just as valid. Yeah. Is there things that you used to do as a nanny that now you're just like cringe at? Because I feel that with this conversation bringing up things that like learning and how I became better at becoming an actor, being an actor, becoming an actor, and, and theatre maker and writer and sorts of and then I like, look back and stuff I did when I was in university going, oh, why did I do that? Why did I spend my time <laughs> really? doing that? Yeah, absolutely. I would never think that about you. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God, see, I did I some terrible plays. You to me in a way You've that made you up your own story, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I once directed an awful play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to make it up as I went along. And that was great because I learned so much in that. Of course. But I was just like, well, I think the point was that I should never have directed a play. I should have just worked out a new bit of theatre with loads of people. Okay. That's clearly what I want to do and didn't realise that till at the time. I'm probably being harsh on myself to say that's... No, I am, for sure. To say that that was awful because it was just a, another experiment. And it was only halfway through where I was like, I'm not really into this. <laughs> you realised halfway through, but you had to carry on oh, at yeah. that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I mean... Yeah, yeah, I mean... I suppose I was just carrying on and getting on with it. But definitely I was like, I picked the wrong play. And then I realised later, I was like, no, I just, I picked a play. <laughs> this was my mistake. <laughs> I should have just, like, not and just messed around. Because you had that, I suppose, I, I'm jealous now of the space and time that that was available to you when you're, when you're in that learning environment at university. But anyway, back Fair to the question. Enough. Yeah. Do you, have you, do you ever, do you ever look back on things you did before and just cringe as a nanny? Yeah, I do a lot. Um, I, I guess I, I, I subscribed to the Anglo-Saxon way of defining childhood for a long time. To what some does that extent, even I, mean? I think every culture has their own way of, um, of, of describing childhood to themselves and defining what childhood is, and I think it's changed a lot through history. Mm. Um, the idea of the concept of childhood itself is fairly recent, and the concept of children's rights and when it is appropriate to learn certain skills rather than others. 200 years ago, kids learned what they learned if they survived when they learned it. That's yeah. kind of it. Um, and so my feeling is the way um, the culture I was exposed to in Ireland to an extent and, and in the UK later... Because you spent 
Yeah, a lot of time in Ireland. When, comes, when you're age 12 to yeah, 18, right? exactly. In Limerick. Exactly. <laughs> it always makes a giggle. Um, and so the way I, I feel people of those parts um, conceptualize childhood is as some sort of separate planet from the planet of real life. And it is your job and your duty as a carer to keep those children in that planet where everything is safe and, um, and, and sort of um, softened, mm. um, but also where it is the place where they learn to be real people. So they learn to be real people through um, being told how to be real people. And until they have learned to be real people, they're not allowed off the planet. Yeah. And so That's in, a great image. <laughs> um, in, in practice, everyday life, it means, you know, not eating with your children because children eat at five and go to bed at six. And so everyone eat else eats table. afterwards, um, which is something that in my original culture in Italy doesn't happen. Like kids, everybody eats together all the time. Like there isn't a thing where you eat before your, your parents. You wait if it, you know, you, you learn to wait even if you're hungry, whatever. It doesn't happen that way. And I think it's, it's an example of how how it's conceptualized you make people make an entire new planet for their kids to live on until they graduate to being real people and to an extent i can see the logic in that because they are little aliens and you are not capable of understanding what they're trying to say to you and you don't understand how they understand the world like you don't know what's going on in their brain and how they're analyzing things and so they behave in ways that are you know very funny and also completely you, you're like you're like, you have no idea what they're doing half the time and so it makes a lot of sense that you would create that planet um <laughs> but um it then it creates a disconnect and it feels i feels like um you are not your entire self when you're around children you're not allowed to be a whole person you're allowed to be a child carer and you soften your emotions and you soften your words and and, and you sometimes you end up talking down to them so yeah my regrets are that I've never talked down to a child but I have often underestimated their capability of understanding what was going on yeah. they were often a lot sharper than I was and were a lot more aware mm -hmm. um... Julia is a friend of mine she's living in Berlin she runs a nanny agency it's very interesting I listened to her talk one day and then gave her a quiz If you listen to her speak, I think you'll think she is Supercalifragilistic Julialidocious Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious Supercalifragilistic Julialidocious it's interesting to regret. Obviously, like you've changed your practice now to move more towards that. To an extent, I mean, yeah. I'm still, I'm still very strict. I think mm. is how you'd describe me, as a style. Um, I'm very clear with what I need, but I, I, I form, I, I put it down in a different way. I now, I now make it more. So a lot of it is, I want to make the relations of power apparent. So there is a relation of power, there is a balance of power. There's a lot of things that you will do as a child because I'm bigger and I can make you. Maybe I don't actually make you, but the common ground that we both know is that I'm big enough to make you do X. 
or not do X. Yeah. So there is a balance of power between us and there needs to be for, for, for many biological reasons and, and for, on grounds of safety and all of those things. So it, it's a neutral thing. There's a balance of power. What I, what I aim to do is to make it as apparent as possible. So instead of saying, this is how we're going to do this because I know how to do this and this is the truth of how we should do this, yeah. I will say to you, I need you to do this because it helps me in this way and also I think it's a good idea. Right. Which leaves you the freedom to disagree with me and be disgruntled. And, and wrong. <laughs> I, you're still going to do it because I'm bigger, I can make you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I want you way. to have the mental gotcha. space to know that this is my rule that I made up because I needed to be this way in order to be mm. functional. And that means that there are many rules out there and you can make your own up. And for now, you need to accept mine because I'm the organizer of this situation yeah, and I yeah. make sure you eat and you drink and, and you know, all of those things. But it's, a, it's because it's necessary and useful. But then you can make your own mental pathways and look forward to finally breaking free from my care and doing uh -huh. the exact opposite of everything because I think you I don't want to ever break spirits I don't ever want mm, to God, make no, anybody feel like they are wrong yeah, in yeah. how and they it's are such a it's a tender age to like make people feel that way as well and this is what I have this is my main regret in the past although I have always been aware of all of this I haven't found ways in which to make it apparent, more apparent to the children in my care. Um, and I right. wish you I had been better at that. Find that language. Exactly, to it's find really ways of saying that. Because what you're saying there is how adults speak to each other. You know, you're, you're basically describing a way that good working practice is. You know what I mean? Like, that should happen in an office. You shouldn't say, do this. You should say, I need this to happen by this time because it's, cause it's I think it's a good idea and I'm the position manager and I need you to do this in time, yada, yada, yada. And that also, is exactly I'm the manager and there's a hierarchy and you've subscribed yeah. to it by being here. Yeah, yeah, but you're and not... And so, you, this is why I get the last word, but there's a reason why. Yeah, 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 there's a reason. And, and trust me, like, it's not like, this is the way it is. Exactly. But So, you better fall in line which is a different style in different industries that could work and obviously will bring terribly unhappy employees but that's just my opinion <laughs> it but will also take a lot longer this is part of take it longer. yeah but it's just really interesting how you're talking to i i firmly believe that you should talk to children like you talk to anyone like it, this should just Absolutely. be part of the conversation but you're using this now to you're, need, you're needing to find the best ways of saying things to them where it's very easy to say put that there do that blah, blah, blah. You're, you're finding ways it's very interesting I read a very useful book that said that said include that in your sentence say instead of saying I instead of saying this is how we do this you say I want you to do this yeah, like this yeah. so that you introduce the concept of this is what I want this is a personal individual preference of mine yeah and I get to pick because I'm in charge but this is my preference whereas this is how it's done is if you don't agree or if it doesn't work for you then you're wrong and it is right yeah do you know what I mean and yeah. just working that into your choosing your words is really hard and a lot of the time you don't have any words because until someone is really four or five it's very hard to have a conversation in the way that you and I understand the conversation should be mm -hmm. and so well, obviously it's by practice and by example that they will get that absolutely and so I I, I try to make it as apparent as I can all through mm. that I understand that there is a balance of power I want you to see it because if you see the cage then 
you could choose to come out of it. Mm. What I never want to do is to make the cage invisible um, <laughs> because that's really dangerous <laughs> and, it, and it just does not make for yeah. happy lives when you grow up. Yeah. Here's Roy. Hi, it's Roy here, just doing some seamless editing of this podcast. Um, at this point, Julia was telling Ronan how she matches up nannies with prospective families. Part of the, of the art of the job, I guess, is that if you're a parent and you employ a nanny, you have to say everything out loud. You can't expect... The nanny's not your partner. They haven't known you for 10 years. And so you have to... If you want the nanny to do things the way you want them to be done, you gotta be really you've got to tell them. Yeah. And so a lot of the time, you've got to tell them stuff you haven't even told yourself because a lot of the, the choices you make, you make intuitively. Yeah. And you, you make... So it really challenges... Sorry to interrupt you, but it really challenges parents to... Get, having a nanny really challenges parents to really figure out what they're doing exactly and really do it better right do it better or do it more consciously or realize what they're doing even well, yeah. is, is fine um but also it, and to me that creates again mental space for freedom in later life for the children because if you see two adults that are not linked by a very deep emotional relationship and so there's all kinds of different nuances in the way they communicate that you wait you may not necessarily get for a long time you see two adults that interact as equals and professionals constantly having a conversation about what is best for all of us and for you and for me in every situation then you understand that all they're doing is their best yeah. And there are times in which they disagree and times in which they agree. And it's important for you as a child to know that because if whatever they come up with doesn't suit you, then at some point you will develop the consciousness that, yeah, yeah that's just what they came up with. And it didn't suit me, so now I'm going to find another way. It's part of the making apparent the fact that there is no truth, that we're all trying our very best. Yeah, and I feel that when you talk to parents, new parents, they're like, they're just doing their damnedest and and you can see that and they're like talking to you about like how difficult it is and I'm like the child is amazing it's breathing exactly. it's playing it's learning they're doing excellently exactly they can't see outside that situation you know nannies can give that kind of realization to parents like and tell them like the development of your kid is going on really well I see it's it every day fine exactly yeah and also again you're the one adult that sleeps at night and so there's a yeah. lot of what you can see. You go see. home and chill. And you, you go home yeah. and chill. You have a beer. You don't see them for 14 hours. Yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah, may yeah. not get... You get the distance from the situation. Exactly. Yeah. And so you see things in a different light. And, and that's a valuable input a lot of the time. Mm. So we just got um, to your flat now after our walk around. And we have an arts test that we okay. ask everybody. Okay. And there's a series of seven questions. And the answer is either yes or no. Okay. And uh, if you score four... Yes. She scored more than 50%, basically. Okay. You can call what you do an art form. Wow, okay. It's, it's extremely scientific. <laughs> I'm sure it is. It's, I can tell by your face right now how scientific no, it is. No, I mean, <laughs> some science has gone into this. A pencil, okay. a paper, and, um, and it's official. It's obviously very official. It's very official, okay. yes. Because it's written down it feels official. in my handwriting on a piece of torn out paper from my notebook. Right, so question one. Do you apply and experiment with creativity in your job? Yes. I think we, we realise that yeah, in our chat. Uh -huh. Question two. Is the study or training of nannying a creative activity? Yes, definitely. 
mm -hmm. because of all the stuff. Yeah, that's that's very apparent. Uh, number three, do other people ever observe and give you feedback on what you do? They do. I wish they would more, but yeah. Who does it? Um, well, you and the parents observe each other all the time. What I'd like to put in place is a, a thing that happens in schools where a colleague comes and observes your work. Right. Because there are things that you can't possibly see. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, centered on specific things like gender bias, for example, or, right. um, you know, how, how you, you, you choose your words in certain, for, for certain contexts. And because certain things are very ingrained in people's minds and you make your best effort, but that's all it is. And so it's very useful for someone to watch your work and say, yeah. oh, I've noticed this and I've, I've noticed that and you need to modify this. That reminds me of a conversation we had before we were doing this chat, it's on Manny's. Which I didn't know existed until they I talked do, to you. I mean, yes. of course they did, but I just didn't know the word. <laughs> what, what? So it's a guy basically it's doing a anything, guy, which is yeah. just not normal, usual thing, right? No, I haven't met very many. I only met one to talk to properly. Like I've seen a few, but I had conversations with just one in London, and um, they're very sought after. Yeah, um, right. But they usually have a very masculine take on the profession, or they're made to, I think. And so they're, this particular guy was a, a, an expert in martial arts and had been hired by a family who had some security um, concerns about the wow. safety of so the children. Wow. So he's basically a bodyguard. Exactly. So he would take the Manny. kid to the park but mainly you know they picked him because if he had to fight someone off he would have been able to right. i don't know how you know realistic the threat was or whatever but this is why yeah. he was picked for his why job. do you think they're sought after uh, because they're rare um and whatever's rare is is sought after and um and because there's a lack for me i want not money is because there's a lack of men um, in certain kinds of caring professions, such as teaching, and and yeah. and, and I think that's not good for the children because it's not good for the adults because it's a great job and you don't get to do it. But it's not good for the children because you want them to have as many examples as possible as what avenues they may choose to walk down in life. Yeah. And it's not ideal that they don't have role models that they can look up to in that kind of profession. Yeah. And also, I think it's it takes away from young boys because they're never encouraged to explore certain aspects of their personality that they absolutely and definitely have but society doesn't encourage them to to express them and and, and do certain kinds of caring things or, or taking charge of other With human a beings. model doing that and showing you that exactly thing. showing that that's possible yeah. and amongst the other things that you are you're also a man it just keeps their options open I think. right right um so question four i mean the question three was, do other people ever observe and give you feedback on what you do? It's kind of like an audience to what you're no, working. Well, in that sense, they Which do. Is, it's slightly, it's, it's different, but I suppose it's a half. The kids half. are an audience. They'll tell you in 20 years what they think about the work you do. They'll also tell you that day. They'll be like, <laughs> yeah, no, they so tell the feedback you loop is oh, yeah. immediate. Exactly. All right, question four. Do nannies have a hive mind type community where they share skills and experience and learning? Not that I know of, not oh, as okay, much okay. as, yeah. But something that you're trying to... Yeah, okay. something I'd like to see. Maybe I just haven't found it, but yeah. Right. Um, have you ever done your job for no fee in order to, what we call, get exposure as a nanny to kind of promote yourself? For no fee, no. For very low fees, yes, all the time. Um, 
people who enjoy this type of work aren't very good at asking for raises a lot of the time. Uh, um, I've never done it. Well, I mean, I, 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 my personal take is I try to sell as few hours as I can out of my time because I would like to give the other hours. I would like to have the luxury to, to give the other hours to whomever I choose. Right. And so, yeah, I've done it for free, um, but not in order to advance. Right, okay, okay. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. From yeah, you know what I'm getting at. No, I don't think that happens. Okay, okay. Um, ha, we're at question six now. Have you ever described yourself as an emerging nanny? <laughs> no, I have or never described myself. A nanny in training or, or like. <laughs> No, not not in that way. Junior nanny. Or... No, I haven't. But I'm sure that there's people who do. There are nanny academies in the UK and right. some another. And I think I'm sure there's a hierarchy of students in there at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, question seven. Do you think that when your parents are talking to their friends, they can accurately describe what you do? Yes, I think. That you they think they can? can? Oh wow, 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 wow! The correct answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, I think I'm I'm very very blessed um, because my parents are. Not only, not only do they take an active interest in my life, but their their minds are very. Um, what I do is far less complicated than what they do. First of all, so I the other way around is true. I have a hard time describing to my friends what they do for a living. Yeah. Um, and so they they definitely um, were not. Um, it wasn't hard for them to understand what I do, but they do. They I think I think they definitely do. This is interesting because I'm looking back over your answers, and. Um... You're on three definites, but I'm going to give you the fourth because do nannies have a hive mind community? You're creating that. Hopefully, yeah. So, yes. So, I'm going to say, a as being a pioneer of this, yes. that you can call nannying an art form. Yay! Woo! You are an artist. <laughs> Thank in you. Your trade. I will cherish that. You should. You should. And talking to you has made me realize how much more of it, because we've chatted quite a bit as friends but about what you do. But this chat has taught me even more so about. The, the color of the, the, the painting image, the color of what, of your um, ethos and philosophy of the whole thing. Ah, oh, it's so rich. No, it's really, it's a great job. Anyone out there considering it should definitely go for All it. Right. And if only there were a nanny agency in Berlin. I, if, only, if only there was a nanny agency in Berlin. <laughs> what would the nanny agency in Berlin be called if it was in Berlin? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Thanks very much for listening to the Art and Podcast. Thanks to Julia for agreeing to take our arts test and passing with flying colours. The questions in this podcast were by me, Ronan McMahon. The seamless editing and the bass guitar were by Roy Shearer. The drums in this podcast were by the Boss Dr. Rhythm DR550. Obviously, the drums you're hearing right now is the Korg Rhythm 55, which is what we used in the last podcast. The next podcast is called Art and Heat Engineering. If you have a job that you don't think is art, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us at artandpodcast at gmail.com. That's artandpodcast at gmail.com. So please get in touch. And thanks for listening. This is the outro. This is the outro. You have to now go. You have to now go. Goodbye. Goodbye. If you could design a playground, what would you? What would the one thing that you would have in it? Really high swings. Really high swings. Yes. 
What do you swings, mean high swings? Swings that go swings high. Swings that are very that have very long chains, so that you can swing far. Right. And also, there's there is a well. It's not a playground. It's it's like a market. But there's a market here in Berlin called Mauerpark, and most people that have visited Berlin have seen it. Yeah. Um, and on top, there's a little hill on just above the market, and there are three or four grown-up swings up the hill, so very tall swings, and they swing just off the edge of the hill. And so when you swing, you feel like you're almost oh my gonna gosh. fly off into the rest of the hill, and that's, I love swings. swings but surely if you let go, you would fly off. Yes, you would. So it's quite dangerous. perilous. Yes. Yeah. So you would, I guess, in my ideal playground, I would have some of those with safety restraints and some of those without. And so then a kid can figure out, um, you know, <laughs> the dynamics of that kind Ooh. of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love swings. They're my favorite thing.